All right. This podcast has plans. (laughs) They're not optional. Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends chatter on about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we could fit into this podcast. We are your hosts, Hannah, Sarah, and Meredith. Welcome to episode 5-8. Yay! I wasn't sure if I was going to nail that because of how Sarah was talking about plans are optional right before, and I was like, oh, fuck. Sorry. (laughs) I have definitely said the wrong name on this podcast a couple times. Threw you for a loop. That's all right. That's why this might have been a little pause before I said the name of the podcast. Welcome back to, what is this again? Where am I? We're not boys. Yeah, that's why I can tell the difference. I'm not the only girl on the screen. So if you haven't listened to Plans Are Optional yet, please do. I'm sure they would appreciate it. For sure. It is my turn this week, and this episode will be slightly a shit show because I just finished writing it. Mercury's also in retrograde, like officially, and I'm feeling the heat. Everyone's feeling it. Yeah, it's just no bueno. No bueno whatsoever. Remember how I um, used to not be able to cry? Mm-hmm. Fucking figured it out. Fuck you, Mercury retrograde. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Sorry, time out. No, Sarah's door just, like, creeped open a little bit. (gasps) Otter? Is it Otter? Yeah, it's Otter. (laughs) Oh, thank God. You saw it in the background. Hello, boogers. And because of this episode, right, like, it could be scarier (laughs) to have the door creep open behind uh you. Oh, shit. Okay. Yay, it's Otter. Yay, Otter. Okay, so I do have a little bit of housekeeping. Our first is... I would like to welcome our listener from Quincy, Massachusetts. Oh, Masshole. Masshole. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I love Massachusetts. We don't know who you are, but we would love to hear from you if you would like to reach out to us. And then also we got an email from the librarian again. And yes, we will absolutely add Tem Brents and Fortunato to Murder Mittens when we have time. <laughs> Can I just break down with that? Everybody asking me a bunch of things to do. <laughs> I still have the list my dad left from two weeks ago and I haven't done any of the things on it. Like house stuff or? Yeah, and it's only three things. Well, fourth is write a will, but I'm definitely not writing that. <laughs> Before I write my dissertation. Dissertation. And my like first things letters first. and whatnot, but like... Yeah. Everyone wants things from me. Not me. I just want you to eat the candy I sent you. Thank you. Mine's gone. (laughs) It was gone pretty quickly. I had been tearing into a big bag of high chews, and so I've now moved on to going through the butt for some candy in the pinata. Through the butt. (laughs) Pineapple high chews are my absolute favorite. Oh, so good. I got the tropical mix. With like the kiwi and dragon fruit? Uh-huh, and the mango. Yeah, 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 It's yeah. a really that good, good mix. Too. TT, if you're listening, please.
please bring pineapple high chews uh-huh. the next time you come. Or if you can find the tropical blend, please bring those. I'm sure you're in a tropical place. I don't I know why you be there. wouldn't be able to find the tropical ones. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. So let's hit this. This is a bit of a, a long one, even though it's... I should have prepared and brought a second beer. Yes, you probably should have. I've got my shit lined up. I wasn't sure. Well, I'll just have to leave halfway through. That's okay. I might have to pee. Okay. The story that I have for you this week is what screams are made of. Yeah. This case inspired American screenwriter Kevin Williamson in 1994 to create the movie Scream. Oh, literally. That's awesome. Oh, wow. And as a side note, Kevin Williamson also created a show called The Following. Have you seen this? No. No, I only watch Criminal Minds. Well, (laughs) bear this in mind. So The Following only had two seasons, tragically, but it starred Kevin Bacon, who I love. Awesome. If you have not seen the show, please do if you can find it streaming anywhere. It is a creepier version of Criminal Minds. (gasps) Ooh. <laughs> oh, man. Like, I need that in my life, but... Uh... Creepier than creepy. And it's based on, like, one serial murderer who's also a cult leader. And it's, like, okay, it's, it's very it's intense. It's a lot of boxes for me. hmm So, yeah. Check out the following if you have not. I definitely have a, a genre that I appreciate more than others. Ah, uh, yes. So do I. <laughs> So tonight I have for you the story of the Gainesville Ripper. The Gainesville Ripper. Yep. I did not see it on the list. It's not on the list, but it was um, in Sarah's book, Behind the Horror, that I've been referencing a lot from Sarah's original episode about Pufferfish Party and whatnot. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was in there too. And so like, that's why I was like, I think Scream was based on the gang's grains gap i'm glad you're doing it (laughs) gainesville i'm having some issues this is a story of daniel or danny as he preferred harold rolling and i am going to refer to him in this case as danny because i tried to read the script using rolling but it just it's a hard one it's like a verb It just got mixed up a lot, so I'm going to try to keep this clean for you. So I'm going to use Danny in this instance, and this is going to be a special kind of shit show for you folks today. Yay! The first reason why I chose this particular monster is because that when this episode airs, we will have entered Gemini season. Now, I may be one of your favorite Gemini personalities because I am fairly well evolved. Yes. But this dude, this dude, not so much. Oh, man. Then I'll bring you another Gemini next week. Also, Mm -hmm. a lot of issues. So, (laughs) work on yourself, folks. We've done quite a few Geminis already, and I had written in here that we will talk a little bit more about Geminis later. We actually won't because I just fucking finished writing this. So Maybe I'll try to add some next week. Yeah, we can cover some of the Gemini shenanigans later, and we've already covered some of them already, but just know there are 
well-evolved and not-so-evolved Geminis, and they definitely have some interesting characteristics in either case. But uh-huh. the second reason that I chose the Gainesville Ripper is because <gasps> we share the same birth date. Oh, my gosh. Ah! Wow. Ah! And so that's why I felt fairly committed to finishing this script even though you're like i have to (laughs) i bit off a little bit more than i can chew but um, we're gonna get through it so we're gonna start early life danny was born on may 26th of 1954 so he is quite a bit older than i am it's like not the same whole thing not the whole thing but the same day and he was born in Shreveport, Louisiana, to James Harold Rowling, who was 22 at the time, and Claudia Beatrice Rowling, who I'm saying was 21. Most of the articles that I read referred to Claudia as being 19 at the time of their marriage. But if I did my math calculations correct, which I feel like I did, <laughs> she was 21. Okay. So we're going to go with 21. Now, this marriage was Libra on Libra action. Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) How do they decide where they want to eat? (laughs) How do they decide to get married? Yeah. Not surprisingly, this pairing is highly prone to misunderstandings and trust issues due to their lack of decisiveness. And their lack of just saying what they feel. Yeah. So wishy-washy. And they're just like, ah, never mind. I'm very mad the Libra in our life right now, so. <laughs> so James, Danny's father, was quite the hard ass. At 22? Yes. Calm down, buddy. <laughs> he was a Navy veteran who served during the Korean War, and some articles suggested that James may have suffered from PTSD, though during this time it was more commonly known as gross stress reaction, which i I never heard it called that. I just heard it actually called um, post-traumatic stress syndrome. No, because it's not a disorder. A disorder makes it sound like there's something wrong with you per se, and it's like a syndrome can be like brought on by the, the these disorder events usually that happens is to like you. Okay. a genetic thing. Yeah. I just found that out though. I don't know how true it is, but okay, that was from Criminal Minds. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Criminal Minds. We Thanks. love you. <laughs> I'm dying. After the war, James became a police officer for the Shreveport Police Department. So military service, police officer. He's kind of this strict. All right, I see it now. Hard-ass guy. Evidently, James was not the fatherly type and made it quite clear to Claudia that he did not want to have any children. Oh. Ever. Okay. It's the 50s, right? Mm Mm-hmm. God, birth control is not as good. Yeah. And I'll talk a little bit about that in just a second. But just two weeks after saying, I do, Claudia was... I'm pregnant. Pregnant. Surprise. And then a side note. So clinical tests of the pill, which uses synthetic progesterone and estrogen to repress ovulation was initiated Uh in 1954, but wasn't readily available until May of 1960 after the FDA had approved it. So she may have been able to get this, but it was probably unlikely. And this father, dude, whatever his name is, doesn't want kids, but he probably doesn't want to wear a condom either. Exactly. He probably definitely wants to come. Oh, yeah, inside. (laughs) Dirty. 
I'm grumpy. Yeah, we're grumpy. Okay. Especially with the whole the whole situation right now, I think. Like I'm just uh Yeah. So fuck <sighs> James. Deep breaths. Whatever. Exactly. So needless to say, James was not happy and he showed his unhappiness by being extremely abusive to Claudia. James, do you know how babies are made? Evidently, it's the no. woman's fault. Nah. We're back in like the 1600s. It's like a little now. door that lets out. I open it up when I want to have a baby, and the little egg falls out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a one of those flaps it's in the pajamas. Hatch. Yes, or in my pinata in the butt. Oh, that too. Yeah, in the butt. The butt flap, <laughs> but it's an egg hatch. <laughs> <laughs> this is very topical considering what's happening to women's reproductive rights at the time. Yeah, yeah. we need to find a door. Yeah. <laughs> the couple welcome Danny. I don't think he was welcomed. Yeah. <laughs> well. Close enough. Danny was born. He arrived. And James made a point to make sure that he knew he was completely and 100% unwanted. What a dick. I'm an infant. Right? <laughs> the verbal abuse would start immediately. Jesus, man. Just ignore him. And then the physical abuse ah. would start when Danny was just about a year and a half. Huh? What the? F- oh, fucking shit. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. And if you've ever met a one and a half year old, they're like the most joyful little things on the planet. Everything is fun to them. And they laugh and they giggle and they fart and they poop. <laughs> and it's really, it's a really blessed time. So I don't know how anyone could be physically or verbally abusive, but. Like there's a difference between not wanting kids and then like actually just being a monster to an infant. I know, exactly. just neglect him. This is not okay. Yeah. No. Ugh. On August 15th of 1955, Claudia gave birth to their second son named Kevin. James, did you not fucking figure it out? <laughs> nope. Let's try this again. We need to bring that dick guillotine back that we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James became more violent towards Danny after Kevin was born. He was abusive to both of the kids, but he was even more abusive to Danny in particular. He just really was very spiteful towards him. (sighs) Lots of shit went down while Danny was growing up. And I'm just going to kind of run through and highlight some of the things because there's way too many to go into a great detail about. But this is really just to emphasize how abuse can cause severe and immediate effects, which lead to lifelong trauma, poor mental health, Mm -hmm. behavioral issues, and often an increase in substance abuse. Yeah. For anyone sensitive to domestic violence or to harm to animals, I'm not going to go real deep into it. I'm just going to mention it. But there is some harm to animals in there as well. So 1955, Danny's five. James frequently tied Danny up as a punishment, oh. right? So he's being physically restrained at five at years five. old. Jesus. Wow. Danny began to steal candy from the local stores when he was out with his mom or dad shopping. So we see a little bit of theft starting. Wants to have some power. Yeah. And then this was a really big event. They had a family dog. James would often beat the dog in front of Danny Uh. because Danny was very sensitive to any harm coming to this dog because he loved this dog. Oh, 
And then James beat the dog so badly that the dog died. Oh, my and God. And Danny was actually holding the dog. What the fuck? James, fucking hell. Right. Not a good dude. Just not a fucking good dude. So 1962, Danny's now eight years old. And he was being physically abused one to two times per week. And then verbally abused daily by James. And then interestingly, or not interestingly, I guess, James did not allow either Danny or Kevin to celebrate any holidays or their birthdays. So there was like no celebrations in this household. You cannot be happy. How dare you? I know. What is joy? They didn't know. No, I, I can't imagine they did not know. So... 1963, Danny's nine. Claudia had packed up both of the boys and she left James. But, and this would be kind of a frequent thing, she returned home within a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Danny failed the third grade because he had missed too many days of school due to illnesses. I'm guessing it had to do more with abuse, but... Counselors at the school described Danny as suffering from inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. They recommended counseling. James did not allow Danny to attend counseling. What? I probably beat him more. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what he did. <laughs> How dare you try and get additional attention? Right. Wow, what in the world? In 1964, Danny's now 10. James berated Danny and slapped him for not knowing how to use the clutch during a driving lesson. He's, He's 10? fucking 10. Yeah. I don't know how to use the clutch, and I'm in my 30s. <laughs> I know how, I just can't. <laughs> I've tried. He is looking for any reason to be mad at his children. Right? Yeah, yes. like, what, the day he was born, he was already, uh, like, mm-hmm. You're yeah. 10 years old. Why can't you drive, freeloader? <laughs> and I think when people struggle with, like, understanding, like, he's 10. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't know how to drive, right? There Push might be that. some, like slowness in their own brain i will kind of pull that in a little bit later but like there may be some genetic issues that he's got going on as well right also during this time claudia left again she took the boys with her she returned within a few weeks and danny failed the third grade again Oof. in 1965 danny's now 11 he witnessed an argument between James and Claudia, and she slit her wrist <gasps> with a, a razor. Whoa. And then locked herself in the bathroom. James, not really caring about Claudia's well-being, but wanting to continue fighting with her, broke the door down. And so he's standing over Claudia, yelling at her and berating her. And Danny's watching this, and Claudia's literally laying on the floor, bleeding. Very traumatic. Did she bleed out? I mean... No. Okay, so she survived. Claudia did survive, but she was committed to a hospital. Clearly, she needed some help. Yeah, but I don't think that's the help she needed. So she needed immediate attention. Yeah, that's fair. For her wounds, but she also, they kept her for a mental evaluation because of what she had done. Have you met James? I know, right? (laughs) She was in the hospital for a while. It didn't say exactly how long. I'm guessing, I don't know, I think the standard cycle holds like 72 hours, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what it was back then. Yeah. You could probably put your wife away for a long time. Yeah. You probably could. She did return home. 
and the abuse would continue, unfortunately. Danny's 11 now, and he would eventually become a pretty big or large man. So he's 11 and he's, you know, he's feeling a little bit bigger. He's growing. And so he tried to step in on several instances and protect his mom. But then James would turn around and just beat him worse for his interference in their issues. (sighs) Danny started to play guitar around this time and he would sing And this does become strangely important later on. But this was his one positive outlet that he had. Around the same time, Danny would start to have very violent, sexual, and sadistic fantasies. So this is going on in his head. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, he's approaching like puberty and everything and all he sees around him is violence, so... So 1966, Danny is 12 and James beat Danny with a belt buckle and shaved his head, which caused kids at school, because right, kids are assholes, to make fun of him and they called him names like Bigfoot and Sasquatch. That doesn't make any sense though. Bigfoot and Sasquatch are covered in hair. They're hairy, yeah. (laughs) But also this kid is 11 and in third grade still? Uh, Maybe. So he's he's 12 now. Oh, 12. Yeah, I mean, like, he's... He's the old he's kid He's been in the held class. back multiple times. Yeah. He's the oldest kid. He's also probably way taller because they're developing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Also, during 1966, James attempted to kill Claudia. He was not successful. Danny, to try to find some sort of relief from his home life, he turned to alcohol. Whoa. James caught him. And he put him in lockup for two weeks, right? Because he's a police officer. So he threw oh, his kid yeah. in jail Got it. for he's two weeks. He's also a police officer. Imagine what kind of police officer this man was. Ugh. So after that incident, Danny ran away from home. I mean, don't yeah. blame him. Yeah, get out there. options other than that. This is, you know, he's trying to escape this horrific situation however around the same time too he starts to fantasize about killing people so right he already started to have like sexual whoa yeah he already started to have like violent sexual and sadistic fantasies and now he's starting to actually fantasize about murdering people wow all right in 1967 at the age of 13 Danny and his brother, Kevin, were actually handcuffed together, and James then knelt on their chest, cutting oh. off their airways. Oh, my gosh. Because they did not cut the grass properly. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about my art. Around the same time, Danny started to threaten suicide. When he got into these situations with his father. I don't think his dad would care. No, but I think that's his outlet was like, this is what I'm going to do if you keep doing this. As yeah, just kind of a Hail Mary attempt to see if his dad even cares. No surprise, he doesn't. 1968, he's now 14. Danny begins peeping through neighbors' windows, trying to catch a glance of naked women or girls. So he's just kind of that little peeping Tom around the neighborhood. Creeper. He did attempt suicide in 1968, but was not successful. And then he started having really violent dreams. So it's all, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just this shit storm. 
how to raise a serial killer. Yep, exactly. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in a minute. But in 1969, Danny's 15, and he's becoming more aggressive and just kind of dark in his personality. So he's losing what humanity he had, but he still was playing guitar and writing music. And that, again, was really the only positive outlet that he had. So he's still participating in that. So like, he's trying, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I don't think the infrastructure was there to help him out. Mm-mm. And, um, yeah, it's just really fucked up. Yeah. So, 1970 to 1971, he's 16, 17 years old. He continued to drink, right? And he started to get arrested for intoxication by other police officers than his father. And he started doing some robberies. All oh. right. Sure, escalation. And also now at this point, James is getting flack from his co-workers like, hey, your kid's a screw up kind of exactly. stuff. So it's going to be even meaner. And then Danny would also start to kill small animals. Oh, Aww, Danny. Ugh. Remember, remember your pup though, Danny. I know. Remember the dog? You were so sad. This would be the only point in the McDonald triad for him though. So... That was no bedwetting, no arson. No. I'm actually mm-hmm. kind of surprised no bedwetting with the yeah with abuse. everything he's been through. Yeah. Also, at this point, Danny dropped out of school and was he still trying third grade? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That was a bad oh. joke. I think he was past third grade. So James actually enlisted Danny in the Navy because right he was oh, he's a Navy a man. Navy veteran, but Danny failed the enlistment test for the Navy. He did, however, pass the Air Force enlistment test and left. To be honest, I would have imagined the Air Force test to be more difficult. Yeah. I guess it depends on, like, what I get what you're good at, I guess. I don't know what the tests are either way, but, like... I mean, yeah, you don't have to be a pilot to be in the Air Force. Like, you can do other type jobs and stuff, right? Yeah. Like, not everybody is, like, the Mm -hmm. top of the line, everything, but... And I don't know if this is true or not, but there might be some sort of psychological test with the Navy because you're confined to a ship. Oh, right. But you're also confined in a fucking tiny little fighter jet. Not if you're on the ground helping, like, diagnostics and stuff, mm-hmm. though, too. I don't know. Or, like, re- refueling them and stuff. I feel like all armed services should have a psychological test. But, oh, for but sure. understandably, for sure, like, you're not getting on a submarine unless we have thoroughly vetted you yeah i mean because that i mean that could be an issue in itself but yeah we're gonna talk a little bit about nature which is your genetics and then nurture which is your personal life experiences so in danny's case i really believe that it's a little bit of both yeah both of Danny's parents had issues. So it's not a big leap to presume that there may have been some sort of genetic issues in either of those family lines, right? Because James was just outwardly aggressive and abusive. So there had to be something going on there. And then, I mean, you consider that the environment Danny was subjected to and then his own personal experience. So He's experiencing physical abuse, mental abuse. Right. He has violent tendencies, violent fantasies. He's stealing. At least he does now. Right. He's harming animals. He's harming himself. And he's got this level of sexual deviance with the peeping and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So 
There are absolutely no excuses for Danny's behavior, but it does provide some insight as to why he turned out the way that he did. Yeah, he didn't really didn't have His cards were stacked much against of him. a shot here. Yeah. So, and I wanted another small side tangent. I want to talk a little bit about psychopath versus sociopath. Oh yeah, I get those one confused. of my favorites. <laughs> and I had to like when you like spell things out because I don't know if I'm going to say this right. So I'm going to try sociopathy. Okay, there you go. And psycho psy- well, psychopathy. Now, okay. So, thank you. I'm like <laughs> psychopathy and sociopathy are different cultural labels applied to the diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. Up to 3% of the population may qualify for a diagnosis of antisocial personality disorder. This disorder is more common among males and mostly seen in people with alcohol or substance abuse or in forensic settings such as prisons, which I I found pretty interesting. Psychopaths tend to be more manipulative. They can be seen by others as more charming. They lead a semblance of a normal life and minimize risk in their criminal activities, where sociopaths tend to be more erratic, rage-prone, and unable to lead a kind of normal life, if you will. All right, four rewatches of Criminal Minds, and I had those backwards. Okay. So when sociopaths engage in criminal activity, they tend to do so in a very reckless manner without regard for any consequence that may come of it. In this case, I'm still on the fence, but I'm leaning more towards sociopathy in Danny's case. And then as a fun side note, because... God damn it. some fun. We like to have fun. <laughs> Just a little, please. I found a quiz. Oh, oh, yay. That you can take. We can take it now if you want, or you can do it on your own. We definitely oh my will. God. Maybe we should do it in secret. We'll, yeah, and let we'll us know post, what our results We'll are. post the link. But the interesting thing about this is you're not analyzing yourself. You're analyzing a friend. Oh, Okay. This is like Sarah when she analyzed Otter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I gave Otter the is your cat a sociopath test. So this is how you analyze your friend because likely, right, you as a sociopath would not necessarily answer these questions accurately. So it's up to your friends to determine. Anyways, might be a fun party trick. We can post the link. (laughs) Shit. I've not been a good friend. (laughs) I was like... I took the quiz myself and answered for myself because I'm a Gemini and I can do that. Yes. And I had no psychopathy, a little bit of sociopathy. So just just a little bit. Just a little bit. Everyone just has a little bit. Sarah could do the test for me and I'll do the test for okay. Sarah. We'll oh report the results back to you listeners at some point. As a Capricorn, though, I would be very honest about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Hannah's Hannah's um, probably not going to pull any punches for me here. Would well, if I was doing it for myself, would lead into some of the psychopathy traits if it meant not having feelings and succeeding. But um, but I think given any set of circumstances, we can all exhibit traits in either category. Yeah, yeah. It just depends on what like what you're going through. I'm gonna get a beer. Okay, Sarah can take it real quick. Sarah, no psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies. Whoa! Look at you, girl. 
You're clean. That's not the Scorpio rising <laughs> I thought I had, I guess. But again, yeah. given certain uh, yeah. situations, right? <laughs> Anywho's that was fun. Thank back you. on to Danny. Oh yeah, that asshole. I know this fuck. Well, he's not an <sighs> asshole yet. He's just a very sad, troubled, he's a very troubled. disturbed person. So we're going 1971, 1972, 73-ish. So he's 17 to 19 in this time range. So this is his military career. Many people join the military because it provides a level of structure that they may have been Uh missing from their lives. And Mm -hmm. in turn, that structure provides them the opportunity to learn about discipline and leadership and camaraderie or family, right? And he's definitely lacking on that family. Did use some good male role models. Right? For Danny, though, this was not the case. Mm. He did not flourish in the Air Force. However, Mm. he did pick up a bit of a psychedelic drug habit during his time in the service. Yay! Wow. And it was reported that he dropped acid more than 100 times, as well as taking a multitude of other narcotics. A lot of acid. That's, yeah. Your brain should not be that acidic. No. No, especially when you're like a teenager. It hasn't even set yet. Yeah. Because he's still very young. Yeah. So it is... No surprise, or it should not come as a surprise to either of you, that his military career did not last for long. Well, he had no structure growing up whatsoever. Right? He's probably very anti-authoritarian because his dad was a fucking yeah. cop. So by 1972, Danny had actually gotten arrested for drug possession and disobeying orders because that's a big thing in the military. And he was demoted from a A1C, which is an airman first class, down to, I think it's just an an airman. I don't know. He was seen by a psychiatrist who diagnosed him with a borderline personality disorder. And then he was actually honorably discharged, which I thought was kind of interesting. We're not great at the military, so I don't know what actually makes a dishonorable discharge versus an honorable one. Or listeners can write in because then we get mail. Also, during his military career, Danny lost his virginity. Yay! (laughs) Not good. Why? Every first time is bad. It's bad. I know. For Especially for serial killers, though. He was also doing drugs at the time and definitely regretted his experience afterwards because it wasn't as fulfilling as he anticipated it would be. It wouldn't have been. It, It was never going to be that great. Maybe men have a great time the first time. Actually, I don't know. Yeah. All of like the they five come. seconds. Yeah. I don't know. There's a, I still feel like there's a lot of anxiety for their part too. Oh my goodness. Yes. Cause yeah. Ugh. God. The worst. Just get it over with. It's fine. So anyways, don't take fucking advice from us if you're listening to this. And I don't know why any teenager should take be listening to this. Take all the advice don't. from us. No. Don't. <laughs> okay. So, after Danny's discharge from the military, he moved back to Shreveport, Louisiana to live with his grandfather. It didn't say, and I was very, very curious if it was maternal or paternal, Mm -hmm. but it did not say, so I don't know. But Danny started to attend the Pentecostal church, which is a Protestant-based church, regularly. He did find 
stability in the church. And he was baptized and then he became very, very involved in the church and church activities. This is where he would meet and there was two pronunciations for this. I picked one that I like better. It's either Omatha or Omather. I don't know which one it is. And they were both from fairly reputable sources. So I'm like, uh, I ha- those are two yeah. very different things, but let's go. So I'm going to go Omatha. Omatha Halko. And she was described as a petite brunette with brown eyes. Keep that in mind. Okay. I am safe. On September 6th of 1974, Danny and Omatha married. Omatha was pregnant at the time of their Uh, nuptials. uh, Well. It didn't say whether or not the pregnancy was the reason for the nuptials. I would be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah, especially considering, like, the religion mm-hmm. and stuff. And being 19, still 1974. So, and to start, yeah. the relationship was super good. In later court testimony, Omatha would indicate that Danny was a loving husband for a while. I'm surprised yeah. they had in him at all. Mm-hmm. So, they welcomed their daughter, Kylie Danielle in 1975 it's either april or may i couldn't narrow in i did a lot of genealogy research i there's just nothing there but kylie would be their only child and after kylie was born danny kind of reverted back to his childhood ways he started drinking he started smoking weed eventually working two jobs to support his family proved to be too much right it's too stressful it's a lot so yeah he would take off for hours or days and just that's leave it. omatha to care for kylie on her own that's also a lot Ooh. as a mom like when your kid hasn't slept in a, like a really long extended period of time like you're brain just stops working so like you need that support there so i can only imagine how traumatic it was for she was a baby yeah was a Mm -hmm. baby yeah she's so young babies with babies like as this is going on like that cycle of of abuse just kind of starts over and i talked a little bit about even though it was a very hard episode but the tin can holler how the children of really bad mental and physical abuse. They really tried to break that cycle, but Danny was not successful in doing so. So he started to verbally and then physically abuse Omatha. However, it did (sighs) not say that he ever, ever abused Kylie. There's something, and I guess, you know, he remembered being a kid and being abused maybe that was that was his limit but i mean he still his parents did not give him a oh no i mean they just didn't give him anything honestly so danny quit the church and then he started peeping around town Uh, and then he eventually quit his job Oh, and yeah Mm. and then omatha not knowing what to do right she's got this infant child they have bills to pay she calls danny's parents james and claudia no james came to their house and threatened danny by putting a knife to his throat (gasps) oh my gosh so just jeez not fucking helpful James. james not fucking helpful yeah, well, he's never been helpful, but fucking hell. Right. So 
At the same time that all of this shit's going on, Danny's starting to claim that he's seeing UFOs. He's seeing demons. That's fun. He's That's having fun. other really disturbing visions. And he seemed to be kind of circling the drain, yeah. if you will. Yeah. I, I will. I'll allow it. Okay. In 1977, things came to a head when Danny caught Ometha having an affair. So Danny beat up this boyfriend. And so I I tried to do some research on like, like how this worked out. But evidently, Ometha was seeing this guy named John Loomis. And eventually, Ometha would end up marrying John Loomis in the future. So Mm -hmm. at least from what I read. So I don't know if John was the actual boyfriend in this incident because it didn't really say, but that's, I've kind of pieced that together. Anyways, he catches them like in the act of cheating. He's got a gun. Oh, shit. First, he beats up the boyfriend, like physically. And again, he is a, he's a big dude. He's like, He's about 6'2". It didn't really say how much he weighed. I'm guessing probably about 170, 180. He was fit. Mm-hmm. Mm. He beats up the boyfriend and then he, like, points this gun at Ometha and, you know, he's, like, threatening to kill her and she's crying and she's upset. And he then turns the gun on himself and says he's going to end it all. So there's a level of guilt there, right? There's such a guilt thing because it's just like yeah. fucking do it, but and you can't say that to the father of your child. So Ometha yeah. is like, please stop, please don't do this, like just stop, please. And he did. So he stopped, and Ometha was just like, This is I'm done. We're done. This is over. So that's a lot. Right after this incident, she filed for separation. And within six months, this was like quick, quick, quick. They were divorced. And their separation and their subsequent divorce really sent Danny into a downward spiral. Later in 1977, Danny was involved in this really bad car accident. And as a result, a woman ended up dying. And it didn't say whether she was a passenger or if she was the person in the other vehicle. But Danny just like he took this really, really hard. He's I mean, he's going through all of the emotions of his divorce and then he has this on his conscience. So he started going back to church. He met a young woman named Mary Lynn and she was 17. He was 23. It's not that huge of an age gap, but I mean, it is, you know, there's about five years. but. But stop meeting people. But he met her at church, so I don't know. But his spiral continued, and Mary Lynn was not going to be the person that saved him. So he started a crime spree. Okay. (laughs) And I have to laugh. So I'm going to breeze through some of this. Again, had I known there was going to be so much information available, (laughs) I would have put this to the side and done something different this week, but I committed to it because it's airing my birthday week and we share the same birthday. It just makes sense. I just felt like I needed to do it. So anyways, 1978, Danny commits multiple robberies and he has continued his use of drugs and alcohol. On May 25th of 1979, he robbed a Winn-Dixie in Montgomery, Alabama. And if you don't know what a Winn-Dixie is, it's a little grocery store. He got $800 from that. 
And my guess was that he needed some money to celebrate his birthday because his birthday was the next day. Oh, what a Gemini thought. I was still not born yet. Let's celebrate me. Uh, A few days later, on May 31st of 1979, he robbed another Winn-Dixie in Columbus, Georgia. It was within 30 minutes that Danny was arrested, and then he ended up confessing to three robberies. The one in Alabama, the one he currently did in Georgia, and then one he also did in Louisiana in that short time frame. So, wow. On July 31st of 1979, Danny was sentenced to two concurrent six-year terms for armed robbery. So six years. Basically. Yeah. (laughs) Why? What was the fucking point then? What is the point? I don't know. Uh. I don't know how any of that works. On August 20th of 1979, Danny was sent to the Georgia Diagnostic and Classification State Prison in Jackson, Georgia. And this is basically the starting point for processing into the Georgia State Correction System. So if you don't know, which I hope you don't, (laughs) like, so when you're arrested, you go to like a county or a city jail and you spend some time in there until you actually get your conviction. If you end up going to prison or to a penitentiary, you will end up at a facility in that state that processes you and kind of gives you a number, if you will. We'll, We'll use that reference. And then they will then distribute you based on your crimes or your, you know, how well you've done in county jail to another facility in the state. So you may end up in the maximum sentence facility, or you may end up in like a camp facility where it's there's like less security. So like super max versus like a you're there and you're gonna be able to do arts and crafts. Exactly. Okay. And so real quick, I've been to most of the different facilities here in Washington State based on my on my job and then also Ooh. on my friend. Okay. We ended up down at the Washington Correction Center in Shelton, Washington, which is the same thing. It's this processing center. And so my husband and I go in. And so essentially you walk in, you check in with the guard, and you get a key for a locker. And that's where you put your personal belongings. And so you have a key and then you put all of your personal belongings. So that's everything you have in your pocket. So nothing. You're carrying nothing into the prison. And then once you put all your personal belongings into the locker, you take your key and then you go through this other gate and they open it and they close it. So you're not opening a door. They're doing that for you. And then you go to this other window that's behind that gate and you hand your key and your and your driver's license to the other officer and then they hold it for you and then you go forward and then you go into the visitation room and then that door is opened by the corrections officers and then you walk into the visitation room and then that door closes behind you so you absolutely have no control over these doors right you're also going to prison right (laughs) technically yes you are Like, they don't want you bringing in contraband and and stuff like that. And they want to make sure that, like, you're Mm -hmm. not going to provide them any weapons or stuff to be turned into weapons. So we were also there with our friends, some of his family members. And so we just wanted to go and say hi and, like, hey, buddy, how's it going? But we didn't want to stay the whole time. We wanted to give him private time 
as private oh. as you can get in that yeah. setting. But also just be there, show support, and then leave and give him more time with his immediate family. So we get up to leave, and the guard that was sitting at the table was not there. I look at my husband, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. <laughs> so we just go over and we stand by the gate. And I was like, well, I guess we'll just stand here until somebody gets back. And he's like, that sounds good. And so we're standing there and then the door opens. It's like, and then it starts opening. And so we're like, okay. So we walk through and then the door closes behind us. It's not a door. It's a gate. Okay. Yeah. You can see on either side of it. So... We walk over to the window where the one corrections officer is to get our key and our driver's license. And this fucking psychopath corrections officer comes screaming up from the visitation room. Evidently, she was in the bathroom or fucking off. I don't know. But she was supposed to be manning the desk and she wasn't there. (gasps) So she starts fucking screaming at us. Literally screaming at us. Like, you can't just fucking walk out of here. I'm like, they opened the gate. Like, (laughs) apparently I can. I turn around and I'm looking at her and she's just like red faced and she's fucking pissed. And I look at her and I'm like, do you want us to come back in? I said, I didn't open the door. Uh, Yeah, I can't. (laughs) There's no handle. And then she was like, no, you just go get your shit and leave. And I was like, okay, all right. We turn around and we walk over to, you know, the area to get our stuff, our key back. Uh And I was like, I'm like, I'm like this. I'm like, the fuck? I'm like (laughs) that emoji that's like, yeah, I don't know what I did. Right? And my husband's just like, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. And so we get our, I go over and I was like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. And that other corrections officer leans in and goes, she's such a cunt. (laughs) Yes. And then hands me back our driver's license and our key. It's like, it's not, it's not you. Like, we know her. She's like that. Every day. And then we go to the secondary gate because we, I mean, we couldn't even gone anywhere anyway because, right, we yeah. still are in yeah. like a, a two-tiered gate system. And then so we go to the Jeez. other gate and then the the corrections officer that gave us the key was the one who let us out the other door. And my husband and I are like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, what was that? I don't know. Anyways, that's one of two of my hilarity corrections stories in the state of Washington. I have one other that I will share with you at some point. But anyways, moving on because this is fucking long. All good. October 8th of 1979, Danny escaped from prison while working on a road gang. I'm not going to say chain gang because they weren't actually chained together. But it was a road gang and they were tasked with cutting down some trees on like the outskirts of the prison property. He Hmm. didn't get too far, so he was Uh. only about 100 yards from the prison perimeter when a corrections officer fired a warning shot at him, and he stopped. Oh, shit. Okay. He's like, yep, okay, here's the end of the line for me. You saw me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. May 13th of 1980, Danny, and he's the age of 26 now, he was sent to the Georgia State Prison in Reedsville. And he tried escaping again, but was unsuccessful. Did this add anything to his sentence? I'm hoping so, but it didn't really sound like it. Okay. He's still not serving full terms here, but it was common back in that day as well. Jeez. Danny was later transferred to the St. Clair Correctional Facility in Springville, Alabama to finish
finish a sentence. Prisoners are often transferred to lower security facilities towards the end of their sentences, right? Because you're like less of a risk as you're timing out. But he had a six-year sentence and this is like, I don't know, a few months? Like six months, nine months? I don't know. So he gets transferred over to St. Clair and he tries to escape again. Sir, calm down. You're getting out. He was successful in this attempt, <gasps> Oh, but no. he was apprehended three days later in, and I'm going to mess this up. I had to Google it. It's Natchitoches, Louisiana, but it's spelled N-A-T-C-H-I-T-O-C-H-E-S. Yeesh. Anyways. Ugh. So Danny got returned to Alabama. Hey. and Return to sender. <laughs> we don't want this. He finished his sentence out at the Staten Correctional Facility in Elmore, Alabama. And during his time at Staten, he actually gained this reputation as a really good boxer. So again, he's he's a pretty big dude. Okay. And yeah. now he's got some skills, right? He's got some boxing skills. Yeah. Little fisticuff action. So June 7th of 1984, Danny's released from prison. So out of that six-year sentence, he spent about four years and ten months incarcerated like three times Mm -hmm. (laughs) or tried to escape at least Mm -hmm. fuck and november of 1984 danny went back to his creepy ways you know he's free from prison so he's like i'm gonna start looking in windows again yay me in one instance there was this girl and he had spent several hours watching her before he finally ended up breaking into her home No. And so his intention was to rape her, but she started crying. And then this is where I get two stories. So there's one story that reports that he raped her and then left. There's another story, however, that I found talks about how he, you know, he intended to rape her, but she starts crying and then he felt bad about it. And so instead, they talked for a while They drank tea. They sang Uh, some gospel songs. Oh, God. And then participated in consensual sex. Oh, no. 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 She's like, no. Please don't violently do anything to me. I will just comply. So, 1985, Danny starts to kind of wander. He's on a walkabout, if you will. For our Australian listeners. Did I say that right? Listeners. So Danny goes to California to visit his family. He would spend the next six to seven months hitchhiking around the country and visiting other family members and just kind of doing what he wanted. His crime spree, however, would continue. So July 22nd of 1985, he robbed a Kroger for $219 in Clinton, Mississippi. That's like nothing. On the following day, on July 23rd, 1985, he broke into another house and he stole some car keys and then he was promptly arrested in this stolen vehicle. And on March 20th of 1986, he pled guilty to the Kroger robbery and then was sentenced to four years in the Hines County Detention Facility in Raymond, Mississippi. A month or so later, on 4-15 of 1986, Danny escaped. Fuck! What the hell? Yeah, this guy, if anything, definitely needs <laughs> to be in a maximum security because right. he's a little. Heady. However, in this instance, he simply just walked off the jail property and then swam across Snake Creek. Uh, oh, I feel like this might be a camp situation where there was loose insecurity. They were not holding him in very tightly. No. 
<laughs> and according to one article I read, I don't know if if this is what actually happened because there's a, there is a lot of conflicting information as well. But evidently, six days later, he was found. He was walking along the I-10 in El Paso, Texas, and then he was returned to the Mississippi State Penitentiary in Parchman. On July 19th of 1988, Danny was paroled from prison under the strict conditions that he returned to Shreveport. They don't want your ass. <laughs> Get the fuck out of our state. In Mississippi anymore. And so he did. He moved back. And then he was actually able to find work at a restaurant as a waiter called Pancho's Restaurant, which is a Mexican buffet, which actually sounded really good when I was writing this. I'm getting hungry. Because I've just realized the only thing I had to eat today was two slices of rum cake. Oh, no. Uh, I skipped dinner to finish the script, so I'm starving. And I could really use a Mexican pizza right now. Still no. (laughs) On November 4th of 1989, Danny goes to work. His supervisor walks up and he's like, hey, Danny, you just missed the last three shifts. (laughs) Like, what the hell? You can't do that. Danny exploded into a fit of rage and then threatened to kill his supervisor and then also wow. the employee that was in the back cooking who had like nothing to do I'm with the fucking situation. At oh, work. I'm not even happy to be here. Leave me out of it. <laughs> You're like, you do you, bro. I'm good. I'm just going to flip some eggs. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, neither of these men were injured during this altercation. It was just more of a verbal assault. But Danny left the restaurant, still fuming, with an immense amount of rage. And he no longer had a job, clearly. Ah. Uh And then we're going to fast forward a little bit. And we're going to move into December of 1989. We will talk a little bit more about what happened in November of 1989, but we wouldn't actually learn about this until after Danny made a death row confession. Oh. So December 24th, so Christmas Eve, Danny had been at his parents' home when an altercation started between him and his father. Makes sense. Angry and fuming, Danny stormed out of the house. He started prowling around town and he's peeping into windows. He then breaks into this house. Thankfully, nobody was home, but he stole some coins. He stole some booze and a 38 caliber revolver. Just what he needs. Mm-hmm. Guns. So some months have gone by, but there's still this this tension, right? There's always going to be this tension between Danny and his father. So things start to come to a head and they're, you know, they're arguing. And this time they escalate to attempted murder. Oh, whoa. Danny shot his father in the stomach and then whoa. in the head. Whoa. Wow. James, the ever resilient bastard, Did survived not this <sighs> attack. Oh, my God. God damn it. He did lose an eye and an ear, but he survived. Wow. I've had enough of James. Wow. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. And this would be the beginning of the end for Danny. So now, right, he's a, he attempted murder, right? Yeah. So now he's on the run. Okay. I'm running. That was in May. In June, he's, you know, he's like very conscious of the fact that the law is probably after him because there's no way his dad didn't fucking tell on him. Oh, fuck no. And what could he tell the fucking hospital either? Mm -hmm. And it was attempted like murder of a cop. Exactly. Mm. They're really, they're really after him. So Danny set his sights on Florida. It didn't say like why he was fascinated with Florida. I'm guessing he just. Florida man. Right. 
He wants to go meet Florida Man. He needed a new identity, right? Because mm-hmm. he's yep. an attempted murderer. On the run. He needed some money. So he ends up robbing a few houses and then he robs the house of Michael Kennedy in Shreveport. So he's still local. And he made off with two handguns and the identification papers, which I'm thinking is probably birth certificate or social security card of Michael Kennedy's deceased son, Michael Kennedy Jr. Oh. Oh. And then for the next several weeks, Danny spent his time robbing various convenience stores and smoking cocaine, which I didn't know was an option. Uh, <laughs> Wait. I just thought you snorted it. I don't know. I'm behind the times. So I think... Like crack? there's crack and yeah. there's cocaine, and cocaine is the snort one, and then crack you can you can heat it up. Yeah. Ugh. Otter is putting his butt on oh, the microphone. Otter. Please do. Otter. I didn't hear the thump. <laughs> he looks like he's getting ready he to drop a deuce, though. <laughs> no, he he's he put all four feet onto my tiny little five by eight drawing pad Aww. just now, like and like, sat down on it. it like, to me. Not... Mm-hmm. So either way. The article I read said smoking cocaine. It might have been crack cocaine. I'll let them decide. I don't care. (laughs) He was doing drugs. So on July, so right, he attempted the murder of his father in May, and he's just been kind of like hiding out and committing robberies for the last couple months. By July 22nd of 1990, Daddy finally had enough money together and, who knows, enough like gumption to get to Florida. So Ah, that Florida dream. He took a bus to Sarasota, (laughs) Florida to start this new life as Michael Kennedy Jr., right? Because he's got... Mm-hmm. these documents yeah however life in florida would not be sunshine and rainbows <laughs> it's florida <laughs> it's bath salts danny's spiral was like i mean this was like a fucking hurricane spiral now i mean i don't know how else to yeah. explain it he continued using drugs and he continued robbing houses i mean like it's just shit's fucking happening. So in early August of 1990, he broke into the apartment of Christopher Osborne. Danny stole Christopher's car keys and that he stole his car and headed up to Tampa. So he's making his way from Sarasota up to Tampa. And then along the way, he's committing multiple burglaries and convenience store robberies and he's not even at this point really trying to conceal his crime so he's not like wearing gloves he's not like hiding his face he's just fucking going for it okay and then danny would end up in gainesville florida and not too far from the campus of the university of florida and this is where the story takes a very dark and sadistic turn because this is where danny gained the moniker Mm -hmm. The Gainesville Ripper. Mm-hmm. So the next part is extremely disturbing. I have some details in here that are going to make you fucking cringe if you aren't a sociopath, psychopath, full time. Full time? <laughs> full time. So we'll find out if I am part time. Cool. We are a true crime podcast, so this shit's gross. But if for some reason you are sensitive for it, please tune out for the next minute. I'm going to try to run through this fairly quickly. Are you sure it's not Florida State? No, it's it's the University of Florida, Gainesville. Okay. So this spree happens like bam, bam, bam. So I'm going to go through it. So August 24th, 1990, Sonia Larson, who's 17, and Christina, who went by Christy Powell, also 17, they had met over the summer. 
the dorms were full, so the girls decided that they, you know, they really enjoyed each other's company, and they decided that it would be a great idea for them to be roommates, and so they decided because the dorms were full that they're going to rent this off-campus apartment. However, it's a two-story apartment, so I'm thinking it's more of a townhouse, but I think that's just whatever it's you call it. whatever, that. yeah. So... Together, they rent this apartment in the Williamsburg apartment complex. Sonia's studying science and pre-engineering, and Christy is studying to become an educator. So these girls are super excited to be in college. They're young. They are ready to start living their dreams, basically. Yeah. Yeah. On August 24th, 1990, Danny broke into their house. He carried with him a pistol duct tape, and a K-bar knife. Mm. Due to his size, it was easy for Danny to subdue each of the girls. He covered Sonia's mouth with duct tape and then stabbed her to death. Oh, God. So my guess is they were sleeping. Yeah. He then went and found Christy. He bound her mouth and then her hands. He removed her clothes, and then he molested her. Oh, he removed her the duct tape from her mouth and he forced Christy to perform oral sex ah, on him uh. and then he raped her. He proceeded then to stab her five times with that K-bar knife, killing her. Oh my god. Yeah, all yeah. of this is fucking horrible. It's all bad. Okay. So then, and this is fucking awful, but Danny returned to Sonia, his first victim. And he raped her. She's already dead, She's dead, dude. right? She's okay. already dead. Woof. Yeah. Oh, so he's a bit of a necrophile. Okay. And then he fled the apartment and he was, he threw away evidence. So later they find out that like the duct tape and stuff that he used, that he took with him and he was throwing it away in like dumpsters along the way. So, and this is probably the most fucked up part of this story. And I had a really hard time with this, but here it is. So, Christy's parents, right, she's 17. She's a baby. She's so young. Christy's parents become alarmed because they cannot get in touch with Christy. So, they drove over to the girls' home. No. Oh, no. They're pounding on the door, but there's no answer. They don't got a key, though. So, they go to the manager's office, and the manager, her name is Betty Kernut, and they ask her, they plead with her, beg her, right? Please open this door. We need to see if our daughter's inside. We need to. We need to figure out what the fuck is going on. So Betty gets her maintenance man and she says, okay, well, like, we will enter the apartment, but, like, you stay here. Okay. And, right, but they're, like, still, like, right there. And so, and this is the quote from Betty. She said, when he went in, so her maintenance person, I followed him into the apartment and I saw the young lady on the bed. You could see that she was in a bad position and I just turned around and I walked out. Yeah, Bart Betty. My maintenance man, unfortunately, ran out of the apartment screaming. Oh my god, and then vomited. <gasps> oh, the parents. And this is all in front of the parents. Oh. Both girls had been posed, both girls had been mutilated. Their nipples were removed. It was a thing. 
That's oh, a specific that mutilation. Suck. It is. That's, yeah. The following day, this is next day, August 25th, 1990, Krista Hoyt, 18, she was actually attending Santa Fe Community College, which is just, like, just outside of Gainesville, and she lived in the town of Archer. This is all, like, a very small area, though. Mm-hmm. And she was studying to be a police officer. She was working Ugh. part-time for the Alchua... I don't know if I said that right. I'll I'll say Alchua. Alchua County Sheriff's Office. So much like Sonia and Christy's case, Danny broke into Krista's apartment. He raped her and he stabbed her to death. On the evening of August 26, 1990, Officer Gail Barber was dispatched to Hoyt's residence for a wellness check because, right, she didn't show up for work. Uh She works with police officers. Yeah, they might notice that she's not coming into work. So Gail goes in... And what she discovered was, this is, in my opinion, this is the worst. Okay. So she discovers that Chris has been murdered. Her body's been posed. She's actually in a sitting position on her bed. She's been mutilated. Yeah. Her nipples have been removed. Uh Uh-huh. Unlike Sonia and Christy, though, Krista was decapitated. Oh, fuck. Oh, boy. But her head was placed on a bookshelf facing her slain body. Oh, God. So weird. What? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's fucking horrible. It's so, like. It's bad. Uh, it's super so bad. weird, though, too. Like, look at yourself kind of weirdness. Right? And then the following day, I mean, this is. Jesus boom, Christ. Boom, boom, boom. Ooh, spree. August 27th of 1990, Tracy Pauls, she's 23, and Manuel, or Manny, I'm, I'm not going to say this right, and I apologize, <laughs> but it's Taboda, I think, T-O-B-O-A-D-A. He was 27, I think is what it said. And they had been friends since high school. It didn't say that they were dating necessarily, but they moved in together, and that was pretty recent. And Manny was studying to be an architect, and Tracy was studying to be a lawyer. So again, these are like childhood friends. They're sharing an apartment. And yeah. So Danny (laughs) broke into their apartment. They lived in the Gatorwood apartment complex. Danny found Manny sleeping in his room. And now Manny was a big dude. Mm -hmm. He was also 6'2". He weighed about 200 pounds. He was pretty fit from the pictures that I saw. And he was not going to fucking go without a fight. Yeah. Yeah. Danny starts to overpower him and they're, you know, they have this fight going on. Unfortunately, though, Danny was able to overpower Manny and stab him to death. Ah. Tracy woke up in her room, right, from the commotion. Jesus she hears Christ. this noise. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck oh, is going no. on? She runs towards Manny's room and then she sees this fucking stranger in her fucking house and stabbing her fucking friend and then so she fucking retreats back to her room and she tried like hell to barricade herself in her room. Danny broke door down. Yeah. Oh fuck. He then bound her mouth, Ah. bound her wrist, cut off her clothing and then raped her before stabbing her to death. God. Tracy and Manny were found the next morning. It didn't say who found them though. Um, I was trying to figure that out. I was not able to do so, but Manny's body was exactly where he died. He had not been moved. He he had not been touched. Nope, he does not. Which is weird because his main adversary was his father. Yeah, right. 
But still. Tracy's body, like the others, had been posed. She wasn't mutilated, though. So I feel like because there was such a commotion, Mm. he was scared like the neighbors heard or something. So he didn't spend any time with Tracy to do anything else to her. He just killed her and and he posed her and then he left. With the exception of Manny, all of the victims were petite, white brunettes with brown eyes. Just like Danny's mother, Claudia. I was going to say, this is a mommy issue. Mommy. Mommy. And all of the murders were committed within two miles of each other and all within two miles of the University of Florida. So, like, panic ensued. Oh, yeah. Classes were canceled and thousands of students actually left the campus because they were like, fuck. Nope. They're like, peace. Nope. Not doing it. Not worth it. Nope. College education's not worth it. (laughs) 700 students actually would never return. (laughs) Wow. It's a lot of people. That's a lie. He made an impact. Mm Mm-hmm. They're just like, you know what? I'm going to go for a certification and not a degree on this now. I'm going to go to a community college and just leave University of Florida alone. Yeah. So the students that were like, nope, we're here. We're, we're going to do it. They who did not go out alone. They did not go out after dark. A lot of the students were known to carry pepper spray, baseball bats, Smart. guns, even in wow. order to protect themselves. There's a, a picture in that book behind the horror and it's like a couple studying on a bed and there's a huge rifle in between them. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> they're just, we're ready. Try it, motherfucker. <laughs> so I think that Agent, and it, it was J.O. I don't know if he went by Joe or she went by Joe. I didn't look it up. But Agent Joe Jackson of the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, he described the events as follows, quote, it was an atmosphere of almost tangible fear, Ah, end quote, which I think perfectly summarizes like what these students are feeling, what these families are feeling. I mean, it's crazy pants. The timing was so fast. It was quick. So this is where I'm going to get super fast on the rest of this stuff because this is, I literally, this was like 749 (laughs) as I'm writing this. So I apologize. I'm going to get through it. So there's clearly a lack of clues. So the police couldn't find enough evidence at the crime scenes to implicate anyone, let alone, you know, Danny specifically, because it really did not seem like they even knew who he was yet. Yeah. And then also, like, the duct tape had been removed from the scenes that he had used to bind the victims. They had been left in different dumpsters on his exit route. And then, and I found this particularly disturbing, is that the genital areas of the female victims were partially cleaned. Gross. Yeah. (laughs) Police believe that they had a plausible suspect in 18-year-old Ed Humphrey. Ed was currently in custody for assaulting his grandmother. Humphrey had been known to carry knives, but what investigators learn is that... Humphrey had a mental disorder and he was off his meds. Okay, that could do it. Humphrey was held on a million dollar bond and investigators used that time to search his home 
home and they found magazines about knives and guns and porn. But that was pretty much it. Yeah. And then... They should still go after him for assaulting his grandmother. Oh, no. He was getting charged for that okay. regardless. But they were looking at him as a yeah. suspect for the, the slayings of these students. However... Cindy Jurachich, and I, I'm not saying that right. I'm fairly sure it's J-U-R-A-I-C-I-C-H. Cindy, we'll just say Cindy. Cindy. So Cindy's on vacation. She's in Florida. She's having a great time. And then she starts hearing these news reports about these slayings. And she had an eerie thought. What was her thought? Danny Rowling. How does she know him? Cindy had attended church with Danny. <gasps> In her hometown oh. of Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh, church comes back to get you, folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she had recalled that back in November of 1989, the Grissom family, a local family in town, had been murdered in an eerily similar way to these murders of these college students. And then she was like, oh, my God. So her ex-husband, Stephen Dobin, had been friends with Danny. And Steve had come to her one day after Danny had visited with him and told Cindy that Danny had said, again, this is hearsay. Yeah. So Steve told Cindy that he's talking to Danny and that Danny told him he's got a problem. So Cindy's like, well, what's his problem? (laughs) And Steve said... Quote, he likes to stick knives into people, end quote. Oh. Well, it is a problem. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, but it's not like a, yeah, you know, he's got a little bit of a drinking problem. Or, you know, he's he's kind of really addicted to sugar or something. Sure, like doing that. drugs or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, he likes to murder people with knives. Okay, cool. Call Good the story. police. At the time, Cindy was just like, whatever, it is what it is, right? So she kind of dismissed it. Good churchgoer. Right. Got it. God will figure it out. She's thinking in her head, right? She's doing. She's like, um, okay, so the Grissom family murders were, they were like this. And then now these murders are like that. And Danny said that he liked to stab people. Ah, uh, what's a girl to do? <laughs> Nothing. Ooh. She calls Crime Stoppers. Oh my god! Okay, I was like, all right, because it sounded like she was gonna do nothing. Yeah, I was getting real nervous there. She calls Crime Stoppers and she says, "Quote: It would not let me rest." Oh. One day, I picked up the phone and I called Crime Stoppers and I said to them, "There's a guy y'all need to investigate, Danny Rolling." End quote. All right. Okay. So. Danny had fled the area after the murders. He's like, fuck, I fucking freaked out. I'm fucking gone. Just a little bit. Bye. But his crime spree did not end. So he's still robbing homes. He's still robbing gas stations. He's still fucking losing his goddamn mind. Great. He was arrested, actually, under the alias of Jesse Lang on September 8th of 1990 after he had stolen another car and he was headed towards Ocala. I don't know if that's right. Ocala, Florida. Ocala? I don't know. If you live in Ocala, let me know if I pronounce that right. If not, it is what it is. <laughs> so he attempted to rob another Winn-Dixie store, and this is kind of like a theme for him, I guess. It's like, well, they seem to have really low security. Uh, security yeah. So 
Win, yeah. Win Dixie. He <sighs> took the manager into the back to like get the money, but like the bookkeeper was still like up front. And so huh. the bookkeeper was able to contact police. And so, right, sirens are coming. Danny flees and he leads the police on this high speed chase. And then he crashed the car and then he got arrested. And then he escaped. (laughs) He's still in jail. And so he's like getting charged and convicted of this attempted robbery with a gun. So uh, armed robbery. And then so in January of 1991, so this is more than four months after the murders, the police finally caught a break. They got that tip from Cindy. And so they're starting to really look into Danny as a possibility because Ed Humphrey didn't work out as a suspect. So they request, the Florida investigators request to obtain a sample of Danny's DNA. He's incarcerated. Yeah. Okay. So they were able to get a sample of his DNA and then they put it through through testing. And again, this is like early 1990s. So DNA testing is not what it is today, but it comes back and it is pretty damn close. Yeah. So the prosecuting attorney feels like we're going to go ahead and charge him. June of 1992, Danny is charged with all five of the Gainesville murders by August of 1993. So he's still incarcerated. He's pending trial. And he hooks up with a writer named Sandra London. And this is, I didn't go into details about this, but just a quick snippet. So she's a writer. She writes true crime. She gets engaged to (gasps) Danny. Oh, girl. girl. And then they write a book, which I someday will read whenever I have time. Probably when when my daughter graduates college. (laughs) It's called Making of a Serial Killer. Okay. It's his account of all of this stuff. So anyways, he's a published author. Oh, is he a co-author? Yeah. While he's sitting in prison... Initially, he had pled not guilty, but in February of 1994, he changes his plea to guilty to all five of the Gainesville murders. And this is something I really wanted to go into, but I did not have time because at this point we were like 8, 17, (laughs) 8, 19, and I really needed to go to the bathroom. So anyways, (laughs) so just a few side notes from the trial. Danny sang a lot. During the trial. Oh, gospel? Ugh. Gospel. Mm. Okay. And this is still a thing. And then he also tried to use the excuse of multiple personalities. Mm. Well, it was the 90s. I mean, that's Gemini. (laughs) Oh, there's that too. But guess what his alter ego is named? Meredith. (laughs) No! I'm scared of honor. (laughs) James. Oh, I don't know. I said another Gemini. How about just Gemini? His alter ego was named Gemini. What? Whoa. Gemini was responsible for all of his heinous crimes. Wow. On the nose. There's And there's a lot more about that, but I didn't have time for it. So anyways, moving on. (sighs) March 24th of 1994, the jurors recommend 12 to 0 unanimously fucking kill him. Send him yeah. to death. Yes. Florida. Get him out of here. Says, no, thank you. April 20th of 1994, 
Circuit Court Judge Stan R. Morris sentenced Danny to death for each of the murders. And how many times can you kill a man? Five death sentences plus three life sentences for the sexual battery and armed burglary component to those crimes. May 5th of 1997, Danny filed an appeal to the Florida Supreme Court. March 20th of 1998, the Florida Supreme Court affirms his conviction and his death sentences, all fucking five of them. (laughs) Yeah. So he's on death row, okay? (laughs) Yeah. Where he belongs. Mm -hmm. Right? He confided into, and I don't have the person's name, but it was like some sort of religious person. Mm -hmm. Danny makes this confession, this death row confession to the 1989 slayings of the Grissom family in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh Uh-huh. Cindy was right. But also remember that the day he got fired from his job was November 4th of 1989. And he left there. He didn't kill his freaking supervisor Boss, and yeah. his and the cook in the kitchen, right? But he was still fucking fuming when he fucking left. So yeah. what he did was he broke into the home of the Grissom family. So it's William. He was 55. His daughter, Julie, oh. 24. And then Julie's niece that they were watching. Oh, Eight God. years old. Ew. Eight years old. Uh, no. They're making dinner and Danny breaks into their apartment and he stabs them all to death. Jesus fucking Christ. Julie was raped uh, and then posed. Ah. Uh, right? So there yeah, are similarities. He found what he likes. So now they gotta fucking do away with him. He's gotta be done, right? Yes. So. Last meal. Okay. For Hannah. Yay. Lobster tail. Shrimp. Wow. Baked potato. Shrimp. Strawberry, cheesecake, and sweet tea. I don't think sweet tea goes no, with those but, things. like, I'm okay with some of it. Well, sweet tea is a very southern thing, yeah. so whether or not it goes with it, they're going to have sweet tea. It's like what he grew up with, yeah. maybe, but like, mm-hmm. that sounds good. I'm very hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> and then his last words, and this fucking fuck fucker sang <laughs> no for two fucking minutes oh just fucking put the needle in Ugh. it was his final statement he sang to the crowded room of 47 people that were there to witness his fucking execution relatives uh-huh. of the fucking murder victims and he fucking sings five verses from one of his own musical compositions. That's even worse. No. It could have been his at least. own? Oh. Ew. He's got a few out there. So you can Google like his music, which is fucking fucked. Ew. But his last words were, quote, none greater than thee, O Lord, end quote. I have a big surprise and you end up in hell, my friend. <laughs> Danny was executed by lethal injection. It was the needle. Mm-hmm. At the Florida State Prison on October 25th of 2006. Wow. After the U.S. Supreme Court had rejected his last-ditch appeal, he was pronounced dead at 6.13 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Pop culture, he inspired Scream, and there is a thousand more fucking things that he inspired but yeah, i wanted to bring up a big criminal one. minds season six the stranger he 
inspired the unsub character. So if Hannah, if you're going back, okay, criminal mind, go back to season six. It didn't say which episode it was, but it's called The Stranger, and essentially that's who has inspired that character. Okay. And then I did say earlier I was going to do astrology. I fucking wrote this and I'm like, I don't fucking want to do astrology. <laughs> so this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> we share the same birthday day. Uh, I'm cool. Huh, he is absolutely not. not cool. And that's all I'm going to say cool. for that. But that is the case that I have for you, ladies, this week. It is the Gainesville Ripper. Thank you for sticking in for my shit show. Do you have some astrology, unless you guys have some astrology? I'm just looking up the stranger. So this is my birthday week, folks. Oh, yeah. What's happening? I'm super excited about this when this airs. It's not my birthday week as we're recording, but when it airs, I will be super fucking excited. (laughs) This episode airs Monday, May 23rd. The sun in Gemini, right? Will be sextile with Jupiter in Aries. So, hi, mom. (laughs) (laughs) And this aspect provides a lot of much-needed optimism and positive energy. So, it's a good time to start projects, reach some goals, and things will kind of just seem to fall into place. So, that's a, a good day. And also, on the same day, Mercury in Taurus is going to be sextile with Mars in Pisces. Ooh, it means. So it's going to be a good day for open and honest communication. So really, this is a really great day. Show some encouragement and support to your friends and family. And you're going to have that optimism and that positive energy from the sextile. So it's really going to be a lovely day, I think. Tuesday, May 24th, Mars enters Aries, so the planet of war, War. in one of our fieriest signs. Yes. We are going to get a very fiery boost of energy for the next six weeks. I could use that. But this energy is going to be spontaneous and very action-oriented. I can't use that. So play to win, folks. This is really what it's about. Like, fucking get out there, get at it. And then Vesta on the same day, Tuesday, uh, May 24th, Vesta, which I had to look this shit up. Vesta was discovered in 1807. It's officially classified as a dwarf planet, even though it orbits the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. So it's a baby planet. Aw, baby. Astrologically speaking, Vesta is the representation of the flame that is inside ourselves. It's our internal flame. Okay. It gives us the spark of life. I have lost my sparkle, so am I getting it back? Yeah, on Tuesday, May 24th. Okay. It's going to allow (laughs) you to understand your own feelings towards your home, your families, your loved ones. I don't want it. Okay, well, (laughs) blow it out then. (laughs) There's no flame. No flame. Goodbye, Spark. So I said, Vesta's entering Pisces, right? So we've got this very Pisces energy. Hi, Sarah. 
Hi. So what this does for us is that it allows us to really show empathy towards other people. So when Vesta is in Pisces, it's really a great time for you to feed your soul by helping someone else. Not yourself. Okay, that is nice. Someone else. And I'm, I will remind you, this is two days before my birthday, so you could help me celebrate my birthday, right? Yes. All right. Yes. That seems doable. Okay. So Wednesday, May 25th, Mercury in Taurus is going to be trying, which we love, trying, 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 with Pluto in our favorite Capricorn. Yeah. This day is a day to get your research done. Fuck oh. yeah. However. Oh. Uh-oh. It's our recording night. Oh. It actually sounds like a better day for us to be writing our scripts than it does to be recording. Well. <laughs> we'll keep that we'll in mind. See. On my birthday, I want one or both of you to do a tarot card pull <gasps> like we did last yeah. year. Ooh, yeah. Pick a deck. I've had this card out for the podcast for a year. It might be time for mm-hmm. a new card. I think it is. I need a new card for the podcast, so. And then my birthday, May Thursday, May 26th, it's going to be a great day. Nice. Uh, right? No. Yeah, no. It's not. Oh, fuck. No. It's going to be a great day for me because I don't give a fuck because it's my birthday. However, <laughs> yeah. for the rest of you guys, Venus and Aries is going to be square oh. with Pluto and Capricorn. And this is a very oh. temperamental oh. aspect <sighs> because Aries is super fiery. And Capricorns are secretively very sensitive. Not that they would tell you Don't that. tell our secrets. That's why they're built with bricks for walls. Exactly. No one needs four to know this. Walls. I have bricks for walls. Bricks for walls. <laughs> bricks for walls. Good for throwing and building. Throwing, specifically. <laughs> so Thursday, May 26th is going to be a day where it's going to be super easy for for people to get on your nerves. However, it's my fucking birthday. Okay, we're going to just bypass that. I will yeah. not let anyone rain on my fucking parade. Birthdays trump stars. Yes. Nice fucking try, Square. <laughs> but I will give zero fucks on my birthday. Good. And that is what I have. And I do have a quote. Okay. Ooh. This is from Jerry West, who is a basketball, a former basketball player, and then he was the LA Clippers executive board member. Jerry West is also a Gemini. He was born on May 28th of some year that was not the same year as me. But his quote is as follows, quote, there are two very different sides to me, end quote. All right, Gemini. He knew it. So, yes. We are kicking off Gemini season. If you would like to send me birthday wishes, please do so. Do it. We are on Twitter for the time being at True Trine, on Instagram at True Crime Trine. We are on Facebook, TCT Podcast. We had a couple new members join in the last couple weeks. So thank you, listeners. You can email us directly. I am checking our fucking email every week. We love to hear Mm -hmm. from you. We love to hear from the librarian. She's the best. And um, you can check out our website, www.truecrimetrying. Don't for a while. Dot com. Don't put pressure on our sweet Capricorn. She's got got enough pressure on herself. My bricks are crumbling. (laughs) Anyways, this has been a super fucking long episode. I'm sorry. We love you. Happy fucking birthday to me. Yes. Bye. Happy fucking birthday. Bye. Bye. 
music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.